hope. It sounds simple enough to believe that things will get better. Well, that's kind of the baseline, isn't it? Just to believe we can make it through another day. To believe that there's enough light at the end of the tunnel. Even though you're not at the end of the tunnel. I was about nine years old, and my father had rented an RV in England, and then we quickly crossed the channel and went to Germany and Austria. Now, if you know anything about cars, our steering wheel was on the wrong side of the, of the car, or right side, depending on where you're from, on the Autobahn in an RV. Not the safest trip we've ever taken. And I remember we were going in between two countries, and I, I can't remember exactly which countries it it was, but we went into a tunnel, but no one told us about the tunnel, because the tunnel was like 13 kilometers long. For a kid, that was interminable. For a kid who holds his breath through tunnels, <laughs> it was a problem. I can still remember my dad laughing as he was driving. You'll be fine, hold on. Hope. Light at the end of the tunnel when you're not at the end of the tunnel. And that's the problem. Romans 8, 24. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? We live in a world that doesn't put a lot of stock in hope. Because we live in a world full of snap judgments, snap decisions, snap relationships, and sometimes things just snap. The compression of our world from the time it takes to get around the globe to the time it takes to communicate with one another means that everything we have is being compressed into smaller and smaller and smaller bite-sized pieces. When we used to travel during the summer, we would try and call home. I remember one particular time I was with my father in Israel and we tried to call home and the process of calling home at that point was, was hard. You had to, to get an Israeli operator who spoke English, and that just in itself was tough sometimes. They'd send you to Arabic or Hebrew, French, German. Finally, you get to an English translator for an operator who would connect you, literally, probably plugging things in somewhere. I am pretty old. Across the ocean, and then we try and call home. And I remember one summer, it took us two months to get in touch with my mother. For an eight-year-old, it was an interminable time. It felt like we were cut off from everyone that we ever knew. It felt like we would never, ever get home. Hope to see light at the end of the tunnel when you're not at the end of the tunnel. Now, instant communication is available from every phone almost anywhere in the world, but I'm not positive that it made communication better. You see, when we got in touch after that time, oh, the conversation was sweet. We had so much to say. But in the compression of our world, instant communication is available. And sometimes it seems that we have supplanted proximity to people and to communication for lasting intimacy, for real relationships. Sometimes it feels like we are around everyone all the time, all alone.
And doing things in this quick way, it doesn't always make for the best decisions. Have you ever sent an email you wish you could just get back? We all know that feeling, don't we? Sin. Oh, no. It used to be you could walk out of a class where you were upset with the teacher and just say, ah, oh, that's... And it would just kind of go into the ether and it would go away and you'd get over it. And things would go back to normal. Now, you get to post it in the midst of class. Can't believe this teacher's doing something. And then you all start talking to each other. Ah, I can't believe it. Da, 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 da. Teachers are friends. They know what you're saying. See, because now we post things up so that the whole world can walk by on the internet and see. And sometimes snap judgments don't, well, they don't make it easier for us once we've done it. The compression of the world, the pace of things as it gets quicker and quicker. We microwave everything, everything that we have. We microwave popcorn, hot cocoa, last night's dinner, this week's sermon, your new relationship, and next week's decision. We approach life in fast and small ways. Now, this is just what happens. I mean, we need to not make a judgment on whether it's good or bad, but it does lose something when we approach life this way, when we are forced into living this way, forced into a pace that doesn't make sense, forced into a life where you see everything on your cell phone. And the problem is this. We deny ourselves the opportunity to reflect. When you can tweet what you're thinking that second, we often don't reflect. And hope needs reflection. Hope is not a snap judgment. Hope is the state of knowing when it doesn't seem like you know anymore. Hope is knowing there is light at the end of the tunnel when you're not at the end of the tunnel. And without reflection, we can't do that. Sometimes hope needs a walk. Sometimes hope needs a hike to see things from a different perspective. A friar returned to his monastery after an Ignatian 30-day retreat. Over granola the next morning, he was interrogated by a grumpy old member of the community who complained, we've been working like slaves while you've been swanning around, doing nothing. And look at you, you don't look any different. You're quite right, said the friar. I probably don't. But you do. The ability to reflect unfolds our world into the canvas that it was supposed to be. We see our world by three and a half inch screens rather than the overwhelming vastness that it was created to be. Now listen, I'm not a Luddite. I'm reading off an iPad and I've got an iPhone in my pocket. <laughs> Let's just admit to that, all right? But reflection takes more than that. The ability to see that God is making beautiful things, has made beautiful things, and is making us beautiful requires time. Requires the step back. 
And when was the last time you got to step back? When was the last time you got to take a breath? Every time you walk into a class, there's another pile and another list. Every time you walk into a study group, somebody's ahead of you. The anxiety that this creates in us is overwhelming at times. And you add that to snap judgments, and we get to very dangerous places very quickly. And one of us lost sight of hope. And the judgment that he made, he doesn't get to come back from, not now. And so for some of us, it feels like we're in the midst of a tunnel with no light. But we have hope. And by and large, that's why some of you came to this university, because you know that this university believes in hope. It is one of its founding pillars. And the hope that you have is that by beholding this hope, you will, it will become part of the DNA of who you are. Because truly, the loss of hope makes this world unbearable. And now we deal with the aftermath. We deal with the guilt and ask questions like, what could I have done? What should I have done? We beat ourselves up saying we should have known. And maybe those are fair questions, but oftentimes we're not fair in the answers that we give ourselves when this happens. I feel guilty. I'm a pastor on this campus, and I didn't know. And it's easy to play the numbers game and say, well, there's a lot of us here, so how could... But we all lost a piece of ourselves. Because as Pastor Terry said, we are a community, we are a body. And when one hurts, we all hurt. When one is lost, we all have a sense of loss. And we all have to somehow continue on. So the question becomes, not just do you have hope. The question becomes, what is your hope built on? Edward Moat was clear on what it was. Edward Moat was a, a pastor of a little church in England. He wrote some hymns that you sing. And he was a well-liked pastor. He was liked so much by the congregation that they offered him the actual church building as a gift. I've never met a pastor I like that much. Moat replied, I do not want the chapel. I only want the pulpit. And when I cease to preach Christ, then turn me out of that. Edward Moat penned these words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, and all other ground sinks. But how often do we access that hope? How often do we lean on a continual understanding that we are not defined by what we do, but by whom we know? 
Is our hope built on him or is our hope built on the whims of the culture, on the fickleness of what we find important today, this hour, this minute, and in today's world, this second fleeting? Do we consistently fall into the trap of celebrity, longing to be known, consumption, just consuming all that is around us or competition? Are we constantly measuring ourselves next to those who we are next to? And I have to ask this for myself because I get caught up. Today I had two speaking appointments. This one and my five-year-old son's kindergarten class. And I got up this morning to rethink about what I was going to say in light of what's happened. And I wasn't working on his. I was working on this one because it's due. But in the middle of it, I just stopped and I prayed. Because as much as I want to be a blessing to you and give you words of encouragement and words of hope, man, those kids, they're going through a lot. They've got five different stations that they have to go through each day. There's math. There's puppets. There's science, which seems to me just like playing with dirt. And there's nap time. Do you know how hard it is to do well in nap? It's a stress builder. These poor kids. Oh, they're beautiful. God made them right. And when we sing, who's the king of the jungle? And they get to spell, because spelling's a big deal for them. And they say, J-E-S-U-S. They don't go J-E-S-U-S. They go J-E-S-U-S. What do they do? Scream, yes. Anybody who's worked at camp knows. Uh, yes. They scream, yes. And by the time they were done singing with me, they were all about six inches away. It was really uncomfortable. They were all like this, this, because I had them stand up. First bad choice of the day. They were all here, and they're screaming at me, and literally they're this far away from me. And the teacher's like, come back here, come back here. And they're just... Well, they have hope, because you know what was next? Recess. <laughs> and that's a good day. Worship, recess. Why aren't our days like that anymore? Worship and recess. Why aren't we are building communities that are jumping up and down when we sing? that are exploding with the joy of hope that they have. We've got to be those people. Because the result is bad if we're not. And in a world where you can be all together all alone, we've got to step beyond ourselves, beyond our phones, beyond our studies, and we have to touch real people. And we have to hold them and we have to speak hope and love into their hearts. And we have to bring them close to us. God draws near to us and asks us to draw near to one another, and that's what we have to do. We have to be uncomfortably close sometimes. 
And you can't do that if you're too busy. And you can't do that if you're too important. And you can't do that if you're so goal-oriented that you can't see the people that are right around you. Because the reality is this. We are next to each other in the tunnel. And maybe only one of us can see the light, so they better tell all the rest of us about the light. And this hope that we have. Jesus knew we were going to struggle. He knew we were going to have problems. Because he said this. Listen, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. If you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, just have a little, and I can work with that. Problem is, mustard seeds are small. I lose my keys all the time. Hold on to a mustard seed? We got to be looking for each other's mustard seeds. We've got to be helping each other out. A community of hope is constantly seeking that which is light. And that is the whole idea of hope. And John knew this when he wrote his gospel because he, start out, he started out like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and life was the light, and that life was the light of all mankind. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Chaplain Terry Swinson Whenever he sends me an email, the last line on his email says this, the darkest room is powerless against the light of a single candle. We have to be a community where we can talk about this profound darkness we often live in. And Aaron couldn't see past it. This profound darkness that will only recede from light and we have a God who says he is light. We have to be a community of light, a community that sheds and gives light. We have to be a community that holds one another, that prays for one another and seeks one another out, a community that holds the hope of Christ as the unquenchable desire of our hearts the life of Christ as the unending conversation, the death of Christ as our one unsurpassable sacrifice, the resurrection of Christ as our one undeniable victory, and the second coming of Christ as our one trajectory. Many of us hurt. And that pain is acute today. And I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. Terry, will you pray for us? Can we kind of join hands? You know I like you to do that. I, I, I don't want any of that isolation today. You, 
You can even stand up. Why don't you stand up and reach across the rows? I don't like gaps. Balcony too. Come on, you guys up there. How are we doing in the transepts? You holding each other? Oh. Pastor Tim, does that look good or what? That's why I just like doing it. Look at that. Let's pray. Father, we are not alone. For we are thousands strong. We are not alone. Because we jostle and bump into each other every day. We're not alone. Because you never leave us. And even when we're in that dark and can't see it, like Pastor Tim said, you're there. May we quit trying to see you. May we just feel. Feel your hand holding ours, leading us, guiding us. And Lord, when we cry out past the promises of the word, when we, when we shout past the constructs of theology and religion, when we, when we blow past the, the certainties of science and we're looking for someone, someone, may we find you and the way we do it is through others because you live in us. May we excel at our careers. May we study. May we plan. May we strategize. But Lord, may we just most of all live and be and love. Oh, Father, we hurt. We've lost someone. They're in your hands, in your heart, tucked away. But may no one be lost again. May no heart go unmended. May no loneliness be put away with friendship. Lord, may it just all be taken care of through you and through us. Thank you for the words today, the songs, the notes. Thank you for treasuring our teardrops. Now, Lord, may we not just go back to business as usual. May we never be the same again. May we remember that before our career comes our calling. And that calling is to love you and love others. May we live that calling today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.